Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. is where we are this morning, Luke chapter 10. So get your uh, devices or, or uh, hard copies ready. And uh, let's pause for just a moment. We'll pray together. Indeed, Father, you have lifted us. And even today, in an atmosphere of worship, you lift us. Because here we're lifted among, uh, above the mundane, to the sublime, to the ordinary, to the extraordinary God that you are. We thank you for that. I pray, Father, we are good hearers of the word today so that we may be good doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Peter was welcoming people into heaven. He asked this guy who stepped up, so what great kind deed have you done in your life? And the guy said, well, probably the best thing I've ever done was uh, uh, get involved with this street gang, and they were harassing this elderly woman, and I I stepped right in. I, I I punched the eyes out of the gang leader. And Peter was impressed. You were impressive? He said, when did that happen? He said, about 30 seconds ago. (laughs) Well, you know, it can be be a frightening thing to get involved with the needs of people, with the harshness of society, with the things that we see that are injustices, with the hurts of people. Sometimes we don't get involved because of the trouble it might cause us, or sometimes we don't get involved because it's just too great a risk, or it's the time element involved, or the money element, or we're setting ourselves up, or we're not being wise, or something. Sometimes it's simply a heart issue. This month of of February, we're dealing with a clearer vision of our, our mission, what we're about. And we're not about just staying together. We're not about being isolated. We're not about cutting ourselves off from people around us who don't share in the same, same understanding of Jesus Christ, people who don't have the same morality as we do or have the same uh, political outlook. We're, we're not here to do that. We are here, as I said, to be energized about what we are about, and that is to love all people to new life in Jesus Christ. So the vehicle we'll use today is this familiar story that Jesus tells in Luke 10, about the Good Samaritan. Uh, It's been told over and over. I mean, how many hospitals bear the name Good Samaritan? And how many not-for-profit groups have that in their title somehow, or even in their mission statement, to to operate with such a spirit as that? Um, If you were one of the 70 million that watched the closing episode of, of Seinfeld. You remember that Seinfeld and his buddies were in jail because of the breaking the, the Good Samaritan law, which says if, if you get involved with somebody and you hurt somebody, uh, that you're not held liable for that. Um, there's a, there are exceptions that if you don't get involved with something you know is happening and you don't 
uh, do something about it, like the abuse of a child or something, you could be held accountable for that. Of course, the Seinfeld episode is a gross uh, uh, mishandling of the Good Samaritan law, but that's why they were in jail, because they watched the guy get robbed and they didn't do anything about it. Well, it wouldn't apply in that case, but it made for good comedy, right? So that's what that was about. Anyway, that being said, here we are in our text, again, familiar to us, um, but we start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Yeah, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. He, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, we need this story. It's not one that's easy to revisit, but we do because every time we open the scripture, our life has changed a little bit, either for better or for worse. And therefore, truth that hasn't changed continues to ring new to us every time we're in it, as this text did to me, is even in preparing it, that made me terribly uncomfortable because the light shines in dark places. It shines on our hearts. It reveals, it exposes. And when we come to Scripture and His truth, uh, we often don't like what we see or we learn about ourselves. So we need this. We're uncomfortable with this story when we get to it. Now, I want to deal with three questions in this text that will serve as sort of a catalyst to move us along so we can land, I hope, where Christ wants us to land. We'll start with the almost right question. There's this legal expert. You might have a translation that says lawyer, but the legal expert was more like one of our Bible college professors. He was a scholar. He wasn't a lawyer, a legal expert of civil matters, but of moral matters. And the text tells us that he approached Jesus to test him. This was a trap. It was a trap because the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees do not like the kinds of people Jesus is hanging out with. He hangs out with lawbreakers. He hangs out with people who are immoral people, who are sinner people. And they don't view themselves in need of grace at all. They don't need a savior. They don't need a redeemer. They don't need the good news of the gospel. They don't need that. And so when they watch Jesus, who claims to be from God, to be powwowing with these uh, uh, unsavory types, it doesn't go down well. And so this legal expert asks the, asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what he wants to hear is, oh, 
don't worry about the law or anything because I'm all about just hugging everybody, just being together, just love, just love, and we won't care about the moral law. Well, that's what he wants to hear. But that's not where the conversation goes. Usually when Jesus is going to be trapped, he will respond with a question. Well, how do you read it? How do you understand it? He asks. And the man suddenly is has this question to deal with. And Jesus isn't looking for the list of 613 Jewish laws that are in the Old Testament. He's not looking for the traditions. This man knows that. He's looking for a summary of everything that God has said. What do you think God is saying? And the expert in law says, well, to love the God, God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how the, a good Jew started every day. That's called the Shema. And they said every day. They, they said that. So he, that was an easy answer for him. But he was astute enough that he added Leviticus 19 that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, good answer. Do this and you'll live. And immediately he feels absolutely unqualified because he knows there's no way that he can do everything to everybody. The question he asks it's half right. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's half right. Half right. I have a new pimple too. Um, it's, uh, it's half right because um, we all ought to be on a quest for eternal life. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're here, right? We know that this life isn't all there is. We know there's something more to come. And so we are preparing for life after this life. And so we know, we know this journey. So that part of the question was good. The bad part, the wrong part was, what must I do? Now, it's the same question the rich young ruler asked Jesus, right? Who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And his weakness with all, it was all his stuff, all his money. And Jesus said, sell all you have and give to the poor. And that man went away an unhappy man because he wasn't willing to go that far. It's the same mindset here. Jesus knows typically how far this man will go. And now the test is, is he willing to go this far? And so he asks, what must I do? Well, there's nothing we can do. We keep learning that. We keep preaching that. We keep saying that. We, keep, we discuss that in our home groups, in our support groups. There's nothing we can do to gain eternal life. That doesn't mean that we get to live a sloppy life. It's just that we'll never obey enough to be worthy of heaven. Uh, my, when my parents died, they left my brother and I an inheritance. I did not earn it. I don't deserve it. All I did in 1954 was show up. That's all I did. And as a result, I got an inheritance. When we are born again in Jesus Christ, the day you're baptized into Christ, you're born again, you are resurrected to life. Immediately, you and I are joint heirs with Jesus. We are brothers and sisters of his in his family, and we get an inheritance we can never earn and never deserve. It's eternal life. It's salvation. It's a place with God. It's being joined. It's being united with our creator because of the sacrifice that he made. Now, we, we keep, that's the gospel. That is the good news. This man knows immediately he is no way virtuous enough, virtuous enough to, 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 to live at this extent. Jesus Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you said. That's what eternal life is. That's what real life is. It's being with God. It's not, it doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. It's, it starts when you are born again in Jesus Christ. Because wherever God is, that is all about life. 
that, 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 that's life, okay? So that, that is the almost, the almost right question, but not complete. So instead of this man trapping Jesus, uh, the guy feels trapped. No, he, he then, he then, uh, we have this wrong question asked because it says he wanted to justify himself. In other words, he wanted to somehow walk away from this conversation saying, well, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. You ever talk to people like that in a spiritual conversation? And they, they, they listen to your testimony, waiting about Christ. I had two conversations, spiritual conversations with, the, with people. And, and both times, they said, oh, I'm, I'm good, I'm good with God. And uh, that's how we all want to feel. The only way we're good with him is because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's the only way we're good with God. Only way. There's no other way except him. This man wants to somehow leave this conversation known all is well in his life. So, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Now, that may sound good, like a good question, but of course it misses the point. The question is the same question rabbis had been debating for centuries. The rabbis loved to get together and chew the fat about all kinds of things that were said in the Old Testament period. They love without having any conclusions. So one of the things they love to talk about, well, now who is our neighbor? And they go back and forth without any ever landing anywhere. And so this crowd would have had no trouble with Jesus answering it in a literal way. Well, you numbskull, who's living next to you? That's your neighbor. Oh, good. Then we're, then, yeah, we agree. Thanks for the day. And walk away. But of course, that's not the, that's not the text. Instead of giving a theological treatise, or some seminar on cultural anthropology, Jesus tells this story that is so familiar to all of us. And in this story, he's challenging us three ways. First of all, he says, don't limit who. Don't limit who you bless with your life. Don't limit who you're willing to extend yourself to. Don't limit the kindnesses you will extend to somebody. It's natural for us to like the, it's not, I can't talk about you. I can tell you about me. I like being kind to people that I like. And I like being, being treated kindly by people who like me. And I, I tend to like, uh, do good things to people who are pretty much like me in any way. That's not a big deal. That's not what this is about. This, this, this is about reaching beyond the usual and the ordinary, which is a difficult thing to do. Even, even from a, an organized congregation, all churches get head up all the time for all kinds of needs, physical needs. And so in our budget, we have a benevolent benevolence line. Some of your offering every week goes to benevolent needs. Some of them are within our church. Some are without um, and it's very difficult to know how to use that well. We can't help everybody all the time with everything, but we can help some people with some things some of the time. And so it's very difficult. Just like you and me as real people, we can't help everything we see, everything we're moved by, but there's some things we can do. Jesus is just saying, don't limit who that is. So here, um, it, it, what happens is, if we're not careful, we feel good about ourselves when we're just being kind to each other. Now, there is a place for that. This message is, I mean, I look at this church, and I see the way you care for each other. 
Those of you who have babies and get meals brought to you for a couple of weeks, makes me want to have a baby just so I get food brought to her. You know? Or, uh, you know, in the hospital or the way you, uh, some of our people run people to doctor's appointments and care for each other in your home groups and, and in support groups and what have you. Great love. This message is not about that. That's another category. If this message were about shepherding or about bearing one another's burdens in the context of church family, that's another sermon. That's, this sermon isn't about that. This is about beyond that expectation into loving the world around us well. The kinds of people that are on your list and mine that we really have trouble with. Who do you hate? Oh, that's too strong for church, right? So let's say, who do you dislike? Who do you dislike? Is, is there a race on your list? Is there someone of a different socioeconomic level on your list? Is there maybe an immoral person on your list? I'll go that far, but I'm not going to help a person like that. Is there someone who has another religion on your list? We all tend to have our lists that we will, we will go so far, but now that kind of person, I don't know. Jesus is saying there's no place for that. Because the two main characters here are the Jew and the Samaritan. Both hate each other. Jews hated Samaritans. They were half-bloods. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. Jews in Judea would often cross on the east side of the Jordan River, go up that side to cross back into Galilee so they wouldn't step foot in the region called Samaria. They hated them. And they have, so the idea that Jesus calling this, this hero of the story a good Samaritan was the, the most most horrendous thing that he could say. If, if that were a Samaritan crowd, if this was a Samaritan asking the question instead of the legal expert, then it would have been reversed. He would, he would say the good Jew stopped and ha, ha, uh, addressed the needs of the Samaritan. But that wasn't the crowd. The crowd were the Jews. We all have those that we have difficult time caring about and loving. A good Samaritan is just an oxymoron. It's like saying jumbo shrimp or unbiased politician. Hmm, where do you find that? No, of course not. Um, it's Jesus' way of saying, don't dare put limits on who you will exercise kindness and mercy toward. Second, he's saying, don't limit when. We find ourselves moved by people's conditions, situations. And the best way I could illustrate this, let's say on your street, let's say you got this good neighborhood, and across the street, the house burns down. And uh, I have no doubt but that every person sitting here this morning would offer help in getting that family's needs. You would jump in. Most of you would probably lead the way with the neighborhood. And you'd raise money, or you'd, you'd put them up. You'd, something would happen. But let's say the house that burned down. Maybe your neighborhood is a little surprising. Things go on that you don't know about, and they find out that, that in the basement that there was a fire was started because of a meth lab. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. You make your bed, and you just sleep in it. Heard that one? You thought that way before? Instead of realizing, man, what a broken family that must be. What can we do to show them the love of Christ right now? Let them show you we care about them. You see what it means? It means going to the ones that are totally even undeserving. That there's no, there's no reason, good reason. 
See, the ones like us, the moral people, the godly people, the good citizens, those are the easy ones. That's expected. But what about the others? What about the ones? Why is it that I got to grow up in a Christian family with godly parents, a good school system in, in mid-America? Why do I get to be a middle-class white person? I don't know. I had nothing to do with it. But a lot of people grow up in a world totally broken from the very beginning. They hardly have a chance to do well in life because of all that comes against them. And that's where the church has to make a difference. That's where our opportunity is, to love people beyond all kinds of walls, to, see pe- to seek people out who are the bruised and the broken and the wounded, the ones that are left for dead. Jesus' third is saying, don't limit how much. Don't limit how much. Jesus deliberately places this story on the Jericho Road. This is the Jericho Road. It was a treacherous. It was called the Pass of Blood because so much crime happened on the road. You could hide out in so many places there. And so, I mean, you can even imagine the critics saying, well, any guy traveling alone on the Jericho Road just asking to be beat up and left for dead. What kind of, he's a numbskull. You know, it'd be all kinds of criticism. You, right, shouldn't be traveling that road alone. But it was. So the Samaritan who gets involved in helping this Jew that's been beat up and left for dead, I mean, he takes a chance. He can't just, he just can't go on. Stopping and ministering to him means the muggers should, could be close by and he could be beat up too. He takes his own resources of oil and wine and use them, takes him, puts him on his donkey, finds a place for him to stay, stays with him that day and into the night, leaves the next morning, saying, now whatever you spend for him, for his well-being, just tell me and I'll be glad to pay. He goes to the nth degree to make sure that this guy is brought back to wholeness in his life. That is absolutely a ludicrous story that Jesus is telling in this particular context. It does, it does, it does cost us to get involved in people's lives, and I haven't done very well. I get involved with you folks, but I'm not very good. In fact, there have been times where I've gotten involved. I mean, back, I mean, I don't have time to tell the story, but you know, back in the mid-90s, you know, there, there was a guy who, uh, who uh, somebody of our church called, uh, I don't know if Brenda Sturgeon here. Is Brenda back there sitting? I didn't see her today. She, Brenda is a nurse in Hendricks County. This is back in the mid-90s. And she calls me and says, hey, I got this guy over there. He just needs help. So I go and pick up the guy. And, and bring him in. I, we and Diane and I end up having him for dinner several nights. I give him my car to drive two nights a week. Uh, I mean, two weeks, two weeks the time he's here. Uh, uh, we found him a job, uh, taught him about Jesus, baptized him on a Sunday morning. I'm in the full degree. It was all a sham. Everything he told me was a sham. He was a drug addict. I happened to, I, we got suspicious, we got, got suspicious through uh, my good friend Steve Driggers, who's usually back there, and, and uh, uh, he says he's an addict, and that's what he was really after, ultimately, was, was just to, to defeat his addiction, and so I called the last hospital he was at, and his sweet little nun got on the voice and got on the phone, and she said, so is Mr. Jones with you? And I said, yes. Goes, Would you tell Mr. Jones never to step foot in our town again? <laughs> so, but, but this is what happened. See, I got hardened because later, like within a month, I got a call from somebody else who needed help on the road, and I, all I could think of, what a fool I had been. 
and I hardened myself, and I didn't help that next person. And two weeks after that, I got a letter from a relative of his saying, I was so hoping your church would be kind to help him. It was purely honest. I'm only confessing my own heart. I'm confessing what happens when we do risk. My, my error was that I trusted too far the first time, and I allowed myself to get hardened for the second time. In both cases, I was not completely wise. All I'm saying about this is this is not an easy thing. It takes prayer. It takes wisdom. It takes usually community, other people with us to help us think and help us know. We, we, we don't want to enable people in addictions and practices and that sort of thing. We don't want to, and we don't want to help people. We want to, we want to lift them up. And that, it's not easy. You hear me? It's not easy. But the answer is not to refrain from getting involved. That's what I'm saying. The answer is not having a hard heart. The answer is not being critical and judgmental and writing people off. That's never the answer. The answer is trying to figure it out so we do it healthfully and rightfully in a way, in the name of Jesus, that blesses well. So let's figure that out in our personal lives and our church life together as well. Because sometimes we say, well, I just can't afford to give. What it means, what we're saying is I can't afford to give without it being a burden to me. We're willing to help as long as it doesn't cost me much. Well, then that's, that's, that's not Christ-like. I mean, Jesus laid down his life. He didn't just risk his life. He spent his life for us. So he says, this is how I want you to live as well. So, Jesus tells this radical story to help us see ourselves. So here are the application points. First of all, the right question. Let's go to the right question. The right question is, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, can you hear the legal expert? I mean, uh, <laughs> he can't say the word. Well, it was the, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was the guy who showed mercy. You can't say Samaritan. It's too ugly a word. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's the right question. The right question is, to whom does God want me to be a neighbor? What, what, who, what kind of neighbor am I? That's the question. And it's modeled in the Good Samaritan. All God's commandments are summed up in these two. Love God and love people. I, I, I'm ashamed of myself. When I think back of the mid-70s, uh, I had a, one of my first youth ministries was Lancaster, first minister, youth minister, student ministry was Lancaster, Ohio, Fifth Avenue Church of Christ. Had a youth group. We were studying 1 John. God brought this back to mind this week, and I didn't want to think about it, but here it is. I'm confessing again. And so we were studying 1 John. We came upon this verse. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And I had spent the whole youth group talking about who brother is. I was no better than a rabbi of Jesus' day chewing the fat, trying to define that word. And I never concluded it. Because I wanted a definition on who my brother really is. Who do I have to love? I am called, I'm commanded to love anybody, anybody who's a fellow human being bearing the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean he's a brother in Christ. doesn't mean he's a brother, spiritual brother for eternity, but he's a human brother. 
a human being, brother, to be treated well. So to be a good neighbor, first demonstrate kindness to strangers. On people unlike us, someone well said kindness is love with your work clothes on. Kindness is love with your work clothes on. So who will, who will you love? What stranger will you love? The person who's a foreigner to you, the outsider. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? You see, sometimes the world puts us to shame as to who it is we're going to love. They, they exceed us in what they do. And that ought not be. We ought to be leading the way. We don't, get, we don't get rewards for loving each other well. That's expected. That just comes with the territory of being in the family of God. It is hard to know who, who to risk for. One lady went to a church, honest seeker, wanting help. She didn't get help. And she wrote this poem as a result. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities group to discuss my hunger. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to the chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold. Then, see the value of small acts of kindness. See the value of small acts of kindness. Mark 9, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Water, something simple, but you do it in the name of the Lord to bless somebody? God notices that, and there's a reward for that. And then practice love. Practice love that goes beyond normal kindness. Because beyond the usual kindness. Under Roman occupation, a Jew uh, had to carry a Roman soldier's things for a mile. No choice. But Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Go beyond the ordinary. Go beyond the expected. Go beyond the usual. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. So what will that be? What's that look like for you? I don't know. But here, make sure... Finally, you give God the credit. Give God the credit. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That, that, that didn't mean preach a sermon. That didn't mean hit him on the head with a Bible. It just, if they say thank you or not, just say, you know, God's been so good to me, I just want to do that to you. Don't dare say, yeah, that's the kind of guy I am. I just like to do good for people. Now then you get the glory for that. Don't say, well, I was just walking by. You just happened to be there. No, when you're a believer, God puts you in that path. I mean, God puts him in that path. She's there because he knows you're going to walk there. You give God the glory for it. So let me just ask you who you are, because there are three people that have different roles in our story today. There are beater-uppers. You ever been beat up by people? Not physically, necessarily. Maybe you've been beat up physically. Glad you're here. Spiritually, vocationally, relationally beat up. This, this, this world is filled with people who are beater-uppers. And sometimes we beat up people just by ignoring them. Sometimes we beat up people by a glance of, of condescension, by a refusal to get involved, by walking away. There are all kinds of ways we beat up people and by short little 
pithy, scarring words. Then there are passer-uppers, like the priest and the Levite, who just didn't want to get involved. Not bad guys. In fact, they know all about, they all know about the temple. They know all about the law. They could quote your prophets. They know all about Moses. They know all about the Bible information that was available to them that day. But they missed the big picture. Brothers and sisters, to be in our huddles and not be accountable to one another, what we are actively doing beyond the safety of our homes and the safety of our church building is not sufficient. We've got to stop passing by so we can be picker-uppers. Just picker-uppers, people who will, with a kind word, a gesture, it doesn't have to be great. It may be great. It may call for some act of greatness, but it may be some, something small done to bless a person and to give them some kind of hope for the day. So, you know, when you came in, you got a Band-Aid. Would you put it on right now? Take your Band-Aid out and put it on somewhere. Mine's on my hand right here. Uh, now, don't trash the place, okay? Put the trash in your pocket, okay? Um, put your Band-Aid on. And, and just, which I know when you take a bath tonight, it's probably going to come off. It'll be dirty this time tomorrow, whatever. But for maybe just for a few hours, we can have it on to remember that, that, and notice people. When you look at that, maybe you want to write on there Luke 10 or write on there Good Sam or just Sam, you know? They'll think it's your name. They'll call you and say, hey, Sam, uh, uh, whatever it is. If somebody asks you, you can say, you know, I just was reminded today about a story about a guy who just really helped somebody in need, and I want to be that kind of person. So I'm going to say, boy, where would you hear that story? Bible. I don't know what God could do with it. Maybe something. If you're bold, if you're if you're bold, put it on your forehead. That'll get attention. But you know why? Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Because you and I were left for dead by the evil one. He's the tempter. We bought his lie, and when we did, we were bruised. We were scarred. We were left without any hope. And he left the comfort of his place. He left the glory of heaven. He left the safety of where he is. He left his exalted position. And he came to live among us for a while. He lived in our shoes. He walked in our shoes. He lived our lives. He died the death we should have died so that we could live the life we're called to live. That's why these emblems we partake of now, we we never grow tired of them because of this one who saw us our condition and who reached to us, who reached over all the boundaries between the holiness, his holiness, and my total unrighteousness. He reached beyond those barriers to find me, to find you, and to rescue us and give us life. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, how very good you are. We praise you, Father, for seeing us in our need, for leaving the safety of your throne, for becoming Emmanuel, God, with us, and for taking our shame and our sin and even our hardness of heart toward those who are unlike us, who are different from us. You even took that sin away. You took the sin away of my hard heart, my proneness to be withdrawn and to pull the shades down on the hurting people around me. 
So, Father, thank you for preserving this story that Jesus told today. But now we thank you that he's the demonstration of it, the perfection of it. And I pray as we keep our eyes on him, we so likewise shall live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.